of you guys, and we're glad to see you guys here. Um, I do want to just read a scripture passage for you guys, and if everybody will stand as we read God's word. From 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you to worship you and love you, I pray that you will just take away all distractions, uh, that you will take away anything that has been uh, bothering us, making us sad, but Lord, just help us to come to you in spirit and in truth and be excited for you, um, not just outwardly, but inwardly. And we just thank you so much for listening to our praises and our prayers, and we just want to give you all the glory and honor for everything that happens today. Probably sings your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. As y'all remain standing, I just want to kind of ask the Lord to help us get our minds wrapped around His power this morning. All the music is focused on the power of our God. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus was that they'd be able to comprehend what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then over in chapter 3, verses 16 and following, this was his prayer. He says, I bow my knees uh, that they would know that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this morning, we want to focus on the power of God, the power of God that raised His Son from the dead, that was then extended to us to raise us spiritually from our state of death, right? And so before we sing this first song, God is Able, Joellen wants to share something that happened in her and Daryl's life just a few days ago. Um, I'll try to make this brief, and I get a little nervous, so bear with me. Um, Friday was one of those days. Everything went slowly, behind schedule, nothing was going right, I was frustrated. Started out at 8.30, somebody's supposed to be at my house, and it was 10.15, you know, 10 or 10.15 before he got there. So I'm behind. And, um, you know, it was not bad. I didn't get as frustrated as I usually do because it was nothing serious that I had to do. But we had to be somewhere at 5.30. We're going out of town this week. I had to get my car oil changed and things. Well, I didn't get out to get my oil changed till 3 o'clock. And I drive into the place where we go, and I don't just get the oil changed. This time I'm going to have him check brakes and tires and all that. So I didn't just go to Express. I went to a, a, the, the guy who does our, all our work. And I pull in, and there are cars everywhere, parked everywhere. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to take forever. But I finally found a, an obscure parking spot, parked the car, went inside, and I walked up to the guy that owns it, and, he, and I told him what I needed. He said, it's going to be an hour and a half to two hours. And I was like, I ain't got a choice, okay? I got to do it today because this is it. So I went into the waiting room, and it was full. There was like two places to sit. And I went and sat down. And I texted Daryl and said, you may want to come get me because if we need to be somewhere at 530, we may not make it. We can just leave the car, work on it, we'll come back. 
So about four o'clock he shows up and in the waiting room has started dwindling down and at, by about 4.45 it was me and Daryl and another lady and I thought, you know, the TV was blaring but I said, I need to listen to the praise and worship. I need to get it up. So I didn't have headphones so I turned it on and it was really softly playing. It was, I, I'm not even sure how much Daryl could hear it and I was just kind of singing under my breath and the lady that was in there got up and walked out. And then she turned around and came back. You know, she went to the restroom and came right back. And the words that we're playing, is, which you will hear, God is able, he will never fail, he is almighty God. Greater than all we seek, greater than all we ask, he has done great things. And she walked back in, and in a muffled, sobbing voice, she said, thank you. Thank you for playing that. And I, my first reaction was I looked over at her and I said, well, he's able. And then I just kept playing the song. And then I thought of my mother-in-law, who many of you know, Sheila Ingram. She is a prayer warrior. And my first thought was, what would Sheila do? She would pray with her. So I looked at Daryl and I said, we're going to go pray with her. And he said, okay, you know, and we get up and go and sit down. And we told her we didn't care, you know, what the problem was. We just wanted to pray with her. And we did. And Daryl went and talked to the guy at the counter and I sat with her and she, she needs prayer. Her name is Sue. She's going through a lot. Um, family, financial, you know, just a lot of different things, relationships that are, it's, she said, it just feels like everything's coming in on me at one time, but I know he's, he is able. And I just thought that was so neat how God took, you know, a circumstance. He humbled me by saying, you know, it was an inconvenience for you. But I used it for my glory, and you ministered to someone in that, in that circumstance. And I just praise him for using me in that, and Daryl in that way. Amen. Let's focus on his power this morning.
Amen. This next song is about the cause and effect of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. We know this song. It's called Amazing Love. We've been singing it for 15 or 20 years. But just pay attention to the cause and effect in the song. Um, because Christ was forsaken, we've been forgiven. And we've been accepted. And we have eternal life through him. So let's sing that song together. Amazing love.
sing this next song together. It says, Greater You, Lord. And it's all about the very breath that we have is from our Maker. He gave us breath to breathe in the physical, and He's given us breath to breathe now in the spiritual. That's what this song is all about.
BC. For you who do not know me, I'm Hugh Hugley. I'm a worshiper here and a longtime friend of the pastor. In fact, I was one of his professors. And by the way, it's really nice to be working with Jordan and Kevin this morning. I remember these young brothers as in their unedited forms when they were students. <laughs> it's just absolutely thrilling to see how God has worked in their lives and he is using them. It thrills me deeply. I, of course, was a professor for over four decades at Southeastern Bible College, and it's been a joy to see young people go all over the world to teach and preach the gospel and to minister his word here at home as well in many pulpits and uh, teaching ministries and all. We give God all the praise and glory for that. I am delighted to speak this morning and I do wish to read two verses from the book of Ruth and I will be speaking this morning out of the book of Ruth. I've been studying Ruth for some time not long ago in our Sunday school class, I did a character analysis of Naomi, one of the main characters in Ruth. And when Thad asked me to speak, I thought, well, I will take a, do a character analysis of Ruth, certainly the main character of the book. And at a later time, I may do a character analysis of Boaz, the great kinsman redeemer who appears in this book. But let me read two verses from Luke, or rather from uh, Ruth, uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 16 and reading verse 17. These verses constitute the key verses in Acts, and they certainly show us the heartbeat of a woman who feared God, whose life we will seek to analyze, and from whom we hope to secure profit for our spiritual lives today. It reads, and Ruth here is speaking to her mother-in-law named Naomi. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. How pleased we are to be assembled here together today to exalt your name, to praise you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father, for your word. We wish to consider and understand your word, and we desire, Father, to apply it to the needs of our lives. You know every heart here in this assembly today, and we pray that by your spirit, you will minister to each one. 
We pray, Father, that we will be open today to hear your word and hear your voice. We ask you, Father, to be glorified in our midst. And we ask, loving Father, that you'll be glorified in every phase of our service together. We humbly pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme I wish to develop this morning can be summarized in the words, leaving a godly life friend. Whether we realize it or not, you and I are formatting a life print, a model, an example. And with the help of God, it can be a godly life print. Ruth is one of the most noble women about whom we read in the scripture. She lived some 3,200 years ago. She was not even a Jewish woman. She was a Moabite. The Moabites at times were enemies of the nation of Israel. And the family of Naomi, Elimelech, and her two sons, Malon and Chilion, got acquainted with two young ladies in Moab. They had moved there. But we're getting ahead of our story. A life print has a meaning. And we can use other words to explain it. Example, model, format, testimony, and all the rest. And I believe that in our better moments, the child of God desires to leave, to format, to develop, and leave behind a godly life print. Thanks be to God for people who've left behind good life prints for us. I think of my mother, a farm girl from central Georgia with a limited education. She moved to a nearby city to gain work and there met my father. They later married and two sons were born into that family. The Lord took one of them home to himself, my little brother. And for reasons known only to God, he left me here. But even though my family parted, my parents when I was young, my mother took me to Sunday school and church. And often in my prayer life, I thank God that my mother planted those seeds in my life when I was young and seeds which in time would bear fruit. There have been other significant people. Not long after I became a Christian, at the age of 16, I was active in a church that had a great young people's group. And aren't we thankful for the young people's ministry in our church and how we thank God that you all got home safely. But getting back to the persons who had such an impact on me, I had a godly Sunday school teacher when I was a teenage boy, Mr. F.A. Picker. He was a pharmacist by trade, and he had a country twang to his voice. But it was obvious that F.A. Picker cared for the boys to whom he was ministering. 
And I remember his life, friend, even today. As I remember another young people's worker who was the first to encourage me to speak publicly as a young man. I was so frightened. But somehow the Lord got me through the experience. And I remember her and her life print of encouragement. In time, I went to college. And of course, I met and became acquainted with several professors, one of whom I will name. He was a New York transplant, Alabama, and one of my teachers. And it uh, afforded the opportunity to begin a lifelong friendship. I traveled one summer with Mr. Gillespie on a music group and he did the preaching and we were making known the school. And over the years, our friendship ripened. And two of the greatest honors of my life was conducting the funeral of that good man's wife, Genevieve, and the good man, Leon. He left a life print and it's bearing fruit, I trust, in my life even today. Who left life prints in your life? I remember some of my professors in seminary that left life prints and influenced me even to this day. But who left you a godly life print? And how are you profiting from that even today? Sadly, some leave very bad life prints, but by the grace of God, we don't want that to happen. Today, we want to look at a woman who was to the Jews a foreigner, a Moabite. The Moabites were bad news people. Trust me, if you discuss their Sunday school, if you discuss their habits and lifestyle and their customs and their worship, you wouldn't want to discuss it in Sunday school. They were very, very bad people. But it's thrilling how that someone outstanding can come out of a bad background and bear fruit. And here we are today studying a woman that lived 3,200 years ago. And we're going to look at significant events in each of the four chapters of this book. And I testify to you that she is a noble person to review as a life print. There's some 14 or 15 references in the book of Luke to her character. And what a noble character she was. We will notice in chapter 1 how she was removed from her homeland. We will see in chapter two as she goes to work, her reward in a field. We will see in chapter three, her redemption by a kinsman. And finally, her refuge in chapter four in a marriage. Let's hit the high spots of this book and see what it has for us today. Look, first of all, at her removal for her homeland. Now, we have to ask, how did Naomi get into Moab? 
the text indicates that some famine times came and so Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, Naomi and her two sons, Malon and Chilion, migrated to Moab in hopes of finding a better economic situation. And while there, the young men grew up, they were there some 10 years, and both of them married. Malon married Ruth. Chilion married Orpah. And by the way, I understand that uh, Oprah Winfrey's uh, uh, name came from that. They, they tried to spell it right and got it wrong. And anyway, she was Orpah, not Oprah. At any rate, I thought you'd enjoy that 10 cents word. <laughs> but what happened? What happened in Moab? Naomi lost her husband. And Ruth and Orpah lost their husbands. And here we are, a widowed mother-in-law and two young widowed women. What would happen? I suspect that she was like anyone who would lose a husband or a loved one. What's going to happen to me? What will I do with this thing? There's so many reminders of him and so many things that we did together. We have no children. I don't have a child to lean upon. Do you remember losing a loved one? I can remember losing several. And you know the emptiness that comes into the human heart when you lose someone that was precious to you. Frankly, I lost it. I lost my emotional composure when precious ones in my life the Lord took home to glory. So Ruth lost a loved one. But sometimes when we lose a loved one, it affords an opportunity for additional growth. And we're going to see what God worked in and through this lady and why her impact is so powerful even in the present. Notice not only the loss of a loved one, but the love of a relative. I'm intrigued by the great love that Ruth had for her mother-in-law. And we read her expression. For you see, when here were these three women, no means of livelihood, no social security to turn to, and far as the record is concerned, they were very, very poor. And yet, she gives us one of the most beautiful expressions in all of literature. It's hardly surpassed. But Ruth saw in Naomi something that attracted her. That's why she said and insisted. By the way, Naomi tried to get the women to go back to their homeland. Three times in the text, she exhorted them. Finally, Orpah went back. But then Ruth says, no, don't urge me. Your people are my people, and I love it. You're God, my God. 
Now listen, Naomi had something of a tarnished uh, record in the book. She in fact thought that God was dealing with her very bitterly. And she said that to the people when they got back to where she had lived formerly. But we are so impressed with the fact that Ruth says, your God is my God and I'm going to be with you. My goodness. I think of the opportunity we have sometimes when we refer to those who are gone. I cannot tell you the number of times I've had opportunity for Christian witness. You know, you meet a stranger, conversation ensues. Well, how many kids have you got? Well, and I tell them, and I have one that died at the age of 19. A beautiful 19-year-old daughter was taken from me. And people always say, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, yes, I miss her. But let me tell you, I know where she is, and that affords an opportunity often to share the gospel. We have hope, and we know where they are, and we know we are going there if we belong to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Where you go. What a life print is emerging looking at Ruth as she expresses it in that chapter. What love she had for her mother-in-law. And mothers-in-law here today. Naomi, though tarnished somewhat, she gives us an example of love that can transpire between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. What a life print of faith and love and commitment we see here. Well, when we come to chapter two, the scene changes. Now, of course, they come back to Bethlehem, which was the ancient homeland. Why did they go back? They heard uh, that their crops were better and that the season has changed and there were possibly better economic opportunities back in the homeland. And so we come to a second division in our thinking today, and this is the reward in a field. It's quite remarkable what happened. We read in verse 1, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, let's look at this mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law back in the land. They have no wealth. What are they going to do? The Jewish people had a custom of permitting the poor to go after reapers in a field to pick up the grains that had been left behind. And so I notice, and I have to admire her spunk as recorded in verse two. She says, well, hey, let me go out and see if I can glean in the field. She was a woman of industry and it was springtime the time when the wheat and the harley, barley would be harvested. And she knew the custom of being able to go out as the poor did and gather what sheaves had fallen to the ground. And so this was a fine feature of Hebrew society and kindness. 
And so God gave this willing and searching woman an opportunity to work. But I am so struck with a word in verse 3. Look at it. Don't miss it. And what do we read? She departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So we see her being given providential work, but notice she happened. No, it didn't just happen. God providentially was intervening in keeping with his own purposes. God had purpose in mind for Ruth, and he had a marvelous future for her. So God gave a willing and searching woman a job. And we have to understand that God is orchestrating what's going to be a future marriage. I remember a happening in my own life. My father became very ill here in Birmingham and I was living in Alaska. Because I was concerned about my father's spiritual well-being, I got in touch with his doctor. And I knew that my father might not survive and so I determined to come back to Alabama to talk with my dad about the Lord another time. And fortunately, I did have the opportunity to talk with my dad and hear him confess Christ as his Savior and Lord. The last thing I said to my dad on this earth, Daddy, if you get to heaven first, save me a place. Okay, son, were his words. And I treasure those remarks even today. But while I was in Birmingham, my friend Jan Langford, we celebrated his home going here Saturday a week ago. My friend Jan Langford uh, kept me while I was here, a place to sleep and uh, take care of the things I had to care for. And uh, I went to a, a banquet that the college was putting on, the junior senior banquet. And after the banquet, I was chatting with Dr. Gannett, the longtime president of Southeastern. And in the conversation, he said to me that my name had come up as a possibility of becoming a teacher at SBC. Happened to have a conversation? No. God was orchestrating. Trust me. I was excited at the possibility, but was it the will of God for me to pull up my family from Alaska and come here to Alabama to a land that the children didn't know? Trust me, I prayed very much. My late wife and I prayed fervently. We wanted to do the will of God. And I sought out the scripture for direction. I remember reading what God said to Jacob when he was contemplating going back to his homeland. Return to the land of thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Those words seemed to jump out of that page and lodge themselves in my eyes 
in my heart. Certainly I sought counsel and song. But a happenstance conversation led to a new ministry that was the will of God. Look out for those happenings in your life. Sometimes the Lord has something in mind for you. Maybe even a different vocation or a specific ministry here in the church or elsewhere. Well, not only did she have providential work, but she had providential favor. She was out working in the field, came in at break time, and Boaz, the owner of the field, shows up. And he sees there's somebody strange out in the field. And he asks the foreman of his workers, who, who is that? Who is that? Oh, that's the young Moabite woman. And of course, Boaz had heard about her. And he right away communicates with her and shows her favor. And he says, look, stay in my field. I've commanded the young men not to touch you. And moreover, when it's mealtime, I, I want you to dip your bread in the vinegar. And he fed his workers roasted grain and he gave her so much she had some left over to take home to Naomi. What favor she was getting. And you talk about perks. This employer had some perks for her. He told his harvesters, he said, look, you let some handfuls on purpose fall in her pathway so she will have more and plenty. And so what perks? She ate and was satisfied. And she comes home with, oh my goodness, much grain. And Naomi said, well, what happened? Where did you get all this? Where did you go? She said, well, I, I worked in the field of a man named Boaz. Naomi said, well, you know, he's, he's one of our special kinsmen. Now, trust me, the wheels begin to turn in Naomi's mind and heart. Oh, my. She was thoughtful, kind, and I'm going to add the word clever to what she designed. And even daring, daring what she came up with, which leads us to a third division of our thinking today, Redemption from a kinsman. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, you're not going to believe what you're about to hear. It is something. And, as one writer said, Ruth engaged in a common Near Eastern custom by asking Boaz to take her for his wife, symbolically pictured, by throwing a covering over her. And uh, just, as, uh, just as Jehovah spread a garment over Israel, as recorded in the scripture. So, we can imagine now, the, the text gives you a summarized version. But Hughley's imagination has begun turning. And I want to share with you something of what I think probably took 
place. What was the conversation? They're enjoying the food that has been provided for them and happy for having a better time. And so Naomi says something like, Ruth, honey, you need a husband, and I have one in mind for you. Wow, that's forward. A husband? Who? Who for me? Who would take me, a foreigner? Sweetheart, his name is Boaz. Do you mean the Boaz in whose field I was working today? Yes, he is a very good man, and he would really be a great catch, honey. We call such men in our society a goel. What's a goel? A goel is a kinsman redeemer. And Ruth, Naomi explains to Ruth, he's one of our kinsmen. And we have a custom that a kinsman can redeem, redeem property, buy it, and keep it in the family. And so... A goel would marry the widow of his brother or near relative in order to raise up seed and inheritance in memory of the brother. That was a Jewish custom. And so Ruth says, well, you want me to, you want me to connect? Connect with Boaz and become his wife? How, how can I do that? Well, honey, let me tell you my plan. Tonight, Boaz is going to be in the threshing house. He'll be keeping watch over his grain. I want you to prepare yourself and uh, go in and join him when he's asleep. You mean, you want me to go in that little house and be alone with that man? That's what happened. Yes, darling, don't, don't worry about this. He has a godly reputation and everybody knows that you're a woman of great excellence. Don't fret, sweetie. This practice is part of our society. This is the way we function. So, my goodness. Well, tell me what to do. Well, first, darling, you got to prepare yourself. You need to really take a good bath. And then anoint yourself before you go in there. Anoint myself with maybe some of that Moabite cream I brought with me when I came back. No, honey, no, not that. Our cream is much better. You need that evening in, you need that evening in Bethlehem. Anoint yourself with that. Trust me, darling, when a man smells it, he's glad he's a man. And then what? Put on your best outfit. Yeah, the one that swishes a little bit when you walk. And you head for the threshing floor, and when Boaz lies down, you slip in quietly. Lie down at his feet and wait. Well, she did what he said to do. 
And of course, in the night, Boaz wakes up. My word, what is this? There's a woman. I, I can smell perfume. There's a woman in here. And he discovers and says, who are you? Well, I am, I am Ruth, a kinsman, a kinperson. Wow. And the conversation ensues in chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. We won't take time to read it all. But they had a conversation and they talked together. And so Boaz proceeded with the plan to set in motion the redemption. After they had talked together, he said to her, there is a kinsman closer than me, but uh, I will go to the city gate and I'll make plans. And sure enough, he went to the city gate and the text tells us in the passage what he did. Well, he is accepting the role of a kinsman redeemer. This redemption is going to be provided by Boaz, and we read in chapter 3, verse 10, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after the young men where the poor reach. rich. By the way, Boaz was older than Ruth. He called her daughter. And by the way, once upon a time when Hugh Hugley was open to what God might have in the future, my eyes lit on a young lady. And I got inspiration from what Boaz and Ruth did. <laughs> and 18 happy years later, we're still together. And I praise God. I praise God in heaven. There has never been a crossword between that woman and myself. Never. To the glory of the king. Talk about redemption. I, I, get in, I got in on the act myself. It's been amazing. We've been blessed with two wonderful children. So Boaz set in motion. And you know, we're kind of like we're kind of like the characters in this story that needed redemption. You see, Boaz is a great, great example of our great kinsman redeemer. Like Naomi and Ruth, we were poor, but bound in our sins. And our kinsman redeemer was so gracious and loving that he was willing to pay the price. And Peter tells us, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, he redeemed us and set us free from the bondage of sin. And now in the courts of heaven, the child of God is not guilty, covered by the precious blood of Christ. Well, that's not all of the story. We move to the fourth division, and that is refuge in a marriage. I want you to look at its outlook and the outcome. Now again, the Hebrew word goel appears some 13 times in the book of Ruth. 
And Boaz was a man of his word. Next morning, after this interesting night, he made his way to the city gate. He saw the nearest relative, told him to sit down a minute. Then he gathered ten men for witnesses to what was to transpire. And he explained that poor Naomi had to sell a field because of her poverty. And that he was prepared to buy it, but you are closer as a relative than me. And he explained that when you buy the field, you have to take Ruth as your wife. And the nearest relative said, uh, I can't. It might mar my own inheritance. And so he proceeded to redeem. And they had a way of authenticating the transaction. There was an exchange of a shoe sandal. That was proof positive that he was buying the field and moreover purchasing the freedom economically of these two women. Look at its outcome. We have now a bride secured. Naomi's wishes and plans came to fruition. And Ruth was part of the story. Now there's a lot of prayers. I didn't comment on the prayers, but oh goodness, there's some 14 or 15 prayers and well wishes in the book of Ruth. And certainly there were prayers in her behalf. But the wishes of this dear mother-in-law came to fruition. And how thrilling it was and what happened. So we read in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. An illustration of how the church becomes a bride of Christ upon coming to faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, we parents do well to pray fervently for the marriages of our children. Some of you knew Dr. Gary Green, who taught at Southeastern many years, a dear, dear friend. We were all heartbroken when the Lord took him home in an early death. But I happen to know that Gary and Joan prayed fervently for their daughters and for good husbands. And I'm glad that Gary lived long enough to see his daughters married to fine men and they are serving the Lord together. It's wonderful. Thanks be to God. And so notice how the women in the community commented on all that would transpire. Look in verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. Now, let's back up and notice that the marriage produced a son, a baby boy named Obed. We'll comment further about him momentarily. But the women said, blessed is the Lord who's not left you without a 
Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. Wonderful comments. And there were praises. So Naomi becomes in effect a nurse to little Obed. And the women were so excited and they got together. And I, I love to see my dear wife sometimes in conversation with ladies. I don't have to say anything. You know, you sit back and it just goes and goes and goes on and on and on. It's amazing the things they can find to talk about. So the women come in and tell Naomi, oh, what a, how blessed you are. You're blessed with a daughter-in-law who's better to you than seven sons would be. And she had the joy of taking little Obed, nursing him. And the women said, oh, a son has been born to Naomi, a grandson. And they named him Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so a wonderful marriage took place. And a little child was born. It came into the ancestry of King David. Naomi, Ruth. Ruth became the grandmother of King David, the Moabites. It's quite thrilling, quite exciting, all that had happened in the lives of these women. So as we study Ruth, she leaves behind a godly life friend. And again, if I counted correctly, there's some 14 or 15 allusions. How many allusions to our godly lives are there? What kind of life friend are we developing and that we will leave behind? Ruth is a model for believers everywhere. The Apostle Paul left behind a great testimony. We do well to follow. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I give you a homey illustration? I have a part-time job. And some of the things I do are quite mundane. And I sometimes pray when I'm doing those mundane things, Lord, let me bring Jesus to this activity. Let me do a good job in what I'm doing. Paul left behind a model. And Peter also gives us this word of exhortation. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know how to start living and leaving behind a godly life friend. It may be that I'm speaking to someone today and you've never had the happy experience of coming to know Jesus personally. 
as your Lord and Savior. I went to church some before I came to know Christ as my Savior. John 3.16 tells us in simple words, God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You might be thinking, you know, Brother Hughley, and this is quiet, you may be thinking, my life print is not too swift. I've got some tarnish marks on my life print. What do I do? I'll tell you in the words of Scripture what to do. The Bible says to the child of God in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when we confess our sins, we're not telling things to God that he doesn't already know. We're open and not hidden to him. But from time to time, I have to tell the Lord, Lord, I, I messed up. I said something was inappropriate. I did something I shouldn't have done. And we need to think back over our lives. In fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment in quietness. I'm going to ask you, if you're, a child, if you're not a child of God, to pray the sinner's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you are a child of God, and there's some things in your life that should not have happened, we call them sins. Why don't you quietly, while our heads are bowed, say to the Lord, I confess to you, Father, I want your forgiveness. Why don't you pray a quiet, simple prayer between you in God. And the scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And then you may look this way and let me say a word to you from the book of Joshua. All of us. All of us need to strengthen our resolve as Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow. I want to say a word to the young people today. I'm so glad so many of you are able to go to camp. But there's a special word for you in 1 Timothy 4.10. Uh, for, it's uh, for, uh, find it here in a minute, for 4.12. The scripture says, do not let someone look down on you because you are young. But all young people who know the Lord are called upon to do what? To be an example, a life print of believers in word, the way you talk, your conversation, in purity, and on and on we could go. So young people, you're forming your life print. Form a good one. So that you don't have to be sorry for what you might have done. Yes, the Lord can forgive you. But aim high. Yes, 
I want to say a word to those of us who are older, and I'm with you. I have to admit it. I'm a senior citizen, what all that means. Some years ago in studying the scripture, I came across a passage in Psalm 71:18, and I determined then and there to make that my life's verse. What did the psalmist say? Now, when I am old and gray-headed, it's King James Version, forsake me not until I've showed thy strength to this generation and thy power to everyone. This comes. Hey, senior citizens, let's not forget our opportunity and responsibility. We are nearer to our eternal reward than many others might be if the Lord tarries in his coming. Let's leave behind a godly life friend and is needful. Put some new strokes, better strokes, and strong resolve in formatting and formulating and leaving behind that life print. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for your word today. And we pray that by your spirit, you will cause the word of scripture to bear fruit in our lives according as we have need. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right, guys, I'm going to ask us, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to ask us to all stand. Several months ago, B led us in this song we're about to do. And um, last week, the choir led us in this song. And so uh, we don't have any excuses not to sing this song together this weekend, right? And so um, I was thinking about what Dr. Hugh was talking about in terms of a footprint and life print. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hugh. <laughs> Dr. Hugh, the educator. Thank you, brother. Um, I was thinking about one of, the, one of the most powerful things we can do um, is live a life that demonstrates belief. And this song talks about the fact that um, no matter what waves and what winds hit our spiritual lives, um, that it can truly be well. So let's just think about that as we sing together. It 
And this mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown into the midst of the sea Through it all Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all It is well Through it all Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on 
close out our service. Um, I wanted to mention that our very own Sarah Nichols is with us. Sarah just returned on a uh, trip to the Dominican Republic, leading a team of how many people, Sarah? 11 people. And she's going to be here for about another week, right? She came in town last week. You guys be sure and greet her when the uh, service ends. And, um, and she, yeah, she's with YWAM. Many of you guys know that. She'll be heading back to YWAM in about a week, right? All right. All right, Jordan Self's going to come and close us out, guys. Dr. Hughley was very instrumental in my life at Southeastern Bible College and a mentor in my life, too. I just want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for just the godly legacies that you have left here and that, that are here at this church. Lord, I pray that we will remember the words that have been spoken today, the praises that we have lifted up to you, that it won't just be here and then we leave it alone throughout the rest of the week, but that we will be encouraged and we will encourage others. Uh, the trials that we go through, that we will remember um, that it is well with our soul, because you are here with us. Amen. Thank you for the words that you spoke through Dr. Hughley. Um, I pray that we will just remember how great and wonderful you are. Amen. pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.